presentation of the Rio Grande Oil Company. Welcome to police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 59, a holdup. The best described is 5 feet 10 or 11 inches. Weighed about 190 pounds. Escaped in a maroon colored coupe. Life is number unknown. This suspect held up and robbed May West. Motion picture actually. A more than $15,000 is still in play. Go get him, boys. That's all. Rolls and quits. Robinson, and E.Y. Tynette. 
and appointed them special investigators working directly under my supervision. Among these unsolved cases was the theft of the May West jewels. I assigned Robinson and Stone to work on this case, which was, at that time, more than a year old. Although every peace officer in Los Angeles County had worked diligently on this case, nothing had been discovered of any value. Still, I felt that the case could be solved. The quickness and dispatch with which Lieutenants Robinson and Stone brought the case to a successful close speaks more volumes than any words I could utter in praise of them. Tonight's dramatization is based completely on the confidential reports of the investigating officers and the court transcript of the trial of David Friedman. It has also been read and approved by the plaintiff, Miss May West. I turn now to Frederick Lindsley, who will tell you of the May West jewel robbery. of September 1932, May West's automobile is damaged in an accident. She is seriously inconvenienced by the lack of a car. And we find her in her apartment on North Rossmore, talking the situation over with her manager, James Timoney. Well, oh, Jim, it's a nuisance being without a car right now with its new picture stopping. Yeah, you can rent a car. Yeah, and put your life in the hands of any Toluca they send along to drive it. Yeah, you can use cabs. Oh, it's just as bad. And anyway, there's never a cab around the studio when you want one. See who it is, will you, Jim? Sure. Hello, the police department. Who? Come in and I'll see. Things are looking better in the lobby. You in? Oh, that's good. Sure, time to come up. Send him up, please. Hey, who is this guy? Oh, you heard me speak of Dave Brennan. His wife and I were good friends in the big town. Oh, yeah. Seems to me I do remember the name. Well, he looked me up at the studio today. Just driven in town. I told him to come up and sing her some time. Oh, well, Revolver, what's the matter with you? Oh, Jim, this monkey looks hungry. Did you feed him? Yeah, right on the stroke of seven. Oh, okay. What is it, fellow? What are you trying to tell me? Huh. Well, yeah, Jim, the revolver here, he uh, has more sense than any man I've ever met. Except the mule call. Well, thanks for the exception. Well, I'm your manager, and that does require sense. Mm, well, I guess it does. Well, that must be Dave, Jim. I'll let him in. Oh, Dave. Good to see you again. Good to see you, man. Well, I didn't have a minute to talk to you this afternoon. Come on in. Oh, tell me, how's Marge? Oh, in the suit, man. Wants to be remembered to you and everything. Yeah, that's swell. Oh, Dave, this is Jim Timmerman, the manager. I don't think you ever met. Jim, this is Dave Brennan. How you doing? Hello, Jim. I'm glad to know you. Sit down, Dave. Have a cigarette? Sure. Gold tip, hmm? Do all right, ain't you, man? Little different from the time they closed Pleasure Man over in Jersey, huh? Oh, I wasn't doing so bad then either. Yeah, you ring the bell every time, man. Well, tell me, how's every little thing out here in Hollywood? Oh, it's okay. I can't complain. I mean, I'm walking instead of riding these days. Well, what are you talking about, man? You walking? <laughs> you turned over in a new leaf? Oh, that'd be funny. Oh, that lousy chauffeur of mine wrecked the car the other night, and I fired him. And I still fixed in the car, so I haven't a chauffeur or even a car to put him in. Hey, that's tough. And the same, eh? I'd be glad to help you out. What do you mean? Well, I'm not doing 
anything out here. Just looking the place over. I'll drive you around. Oh, no, Dave. I couldn't ask you to do that. Why not? You're welcome to it. Oh, Jim, that sounds like the answer to a maiden's prayer. Well, anyway, the answer to a prayer. Okay, then I'm your new chauffeur. Dave, I accept with pleasure. So Dave Brennan, friend, serves as Miss West's chauffeur. In a few days, he's completely familiar with her daily schedule. Then on September 27, 1932, as he is driving Timony and her along Wilshire Boulevard... Right here. 
When you see Timoney, get out of the car and go into the apartment house. You move in, see? Easy. Get the rocks from the door and take it on the land. I'll meet you at 11 p.m. at the same place as this afternoon. That night, as is her custom, Miss West returns to her apartment house at 7 o'clock and requests Timoney to feed the monkey. She waits in the car, intending to go on to the fight. She has been chatting with Ben in about three minutes when she notices a man, coat collar turned up around his face, hat pulled low, swaggered across the street toward the car. Hey, Dave. I don't like the looks of this guy coming across the street. Oh, oh, him. Uh, just some drunk, I guess. Oh, maybe. But what's that he's got in his hand? I don't know. Uh, looks like a handkerchief. It's a sticker. Hand over the poke. What? I said hand over the poke. Come on, give it to me. Mm. Now give me the bracelet. Quit stalling. Oh, don't get in a hurry. Take your time, buddy. You'll get it. Oh, there you are. Now, that necklace. Come on, make it snappy. Good. Now I'll have those rings. Well, you haven't overlooked anything, have you? No, I can't think of anything. Can you? Now listen, Mug. Start this car. Keep on going. And don't look back. Okay, okay. Hey, Dave, stop. You better keep on going. I don't care what he said. Stop right here. I'm going to try to get his number. All right. Big mug. Yeah, he's able to turn the heat on you, May. He sounded tough to me. Oh, he's nothing but a hoodlum. Well, will you see anything? No, I couldn't get the number. It's a coupe. That's all I made out. Well, what's the matter, May? How do you standing here in the middle of the street? Anything wrong? Oh, it's plenty wrong. Some mug just turned a rod on me and looked at my jewelry and that dough I was carrying. Well, come on, let's report this to the police right away. Hey, listen, May, I, I wouldn't do that. Well, why not? Well, if you get the bulls on this job, you may never see the rocks again. I tell you, these gunmen men are tough monkeys. Well, what did you propose doing? Now, listen, you leave this thing to me for a few days, will you? Why, what could you do about it? Well, I had some connections back east. Might do some good out here. Let me look up some guys, and maybe I can get the stuff back for you. Well, what do you say, Jim? Uh, if you think you can reclaim the stuff, go to it, Dave. Four hours later, Dave does reclaim the stuff for himself. <laughs> well, boys, that was one of the neatest jobs I ever saw pulled. Nothing messy, you know. Clean from start to finish. Thanks, Dave. Here's the stuff. Let me see. Ah, swell. Wait a minute. What about our cut? No, I'll pay you off in a couple of days. Yeah, well, why not now? You got three grand notes there. Hey, you don't want to try to change a thousand-dollar bill with every bull in town looking for them the way they made it, do you? Well, no. Now, I'm trying to stall me from reporting it to the cops, but she might jump out of line. Now, you fellas just leave this all to me. And I'll pay you guys off day after tomorrow. Well, uh, okay, Dave. Say, Dave. What? Hadn't you better return the ice? Why? Look, Dave. Those rocks are her business. She looks like a good dame to me. We got a grand a piece of a dough. Ain't that enough? Yeah, but there might be another ten grand in sparklers there. Hey, you don't expect me to turn that back, do you? Look, Dave, it's none of my business. I've done the job for you, and you're going to pay me off. A deal with the rocks is your own business. But if I was you, I'd turn them back. Gee, the dame's going to make a picture soon, and she's going to need them. Yeah? Oh, maybe you're right. Sure I am, Dave. Give them back to her. Okay, pal. I will. 
next morning, Timony and Miss West are discussing the robbery in her apartment when the phone rings. Well, answer Meg. Hello. I want to talk to Miss West. Who's speaking? This is your manager. Well, you do. It's about that holdup last night. Oh, yeah. Get a load of this, man. Well, what about it? Well, I just wanted to tell you where you can find the first. The phone? Where is it? Well, you go down Rossmore from the apartment to Rosewood Avenue. Yeah? Then you turn to the right. Yeah? Well, in the middle of the block is a white garage. And behind the garage is a pile of lumber. And under the lumber, you'll find the purse. Well, that's fine. Now, where is this Rosewood Avenue? Stay here, Los Angeles, you know. It ain't far from your apartment. Next block, down Rossmore. What's that? I'm a little deaf. I said the next block, down Rossmore, from your apartment. Yeah, I see. And you, you said something about a garage. Yeah, I said the purse is behind the white garage in the middle of the block, under a pile of lumber there. Yeah, well, thanks, sir. Who was speaking? Hey, Mud, do you think I'm nuts? I'm doing you a favor as it is, telling you where you can find that purse. Yeah, I know, but I'd like to... Hello? Hello? You hung up on me. You got that, man? Oh, most of it. What's the idea of all the stupid questions and that crap about being deaf? Yeah, just stalling him so I can remember his voice if I ever get a chance to hear it again. Yeah, smart boy, Jim. You ought to be a cop. <laughs> you got the figure for it anyway. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, they left the purse for me, huh? Yeah. Oh, I wonder if there's anything in it. Well, let's take a walk over there and find out. Miss West and Timoney follow Friedman's directions and recover the purse under the lumber pile, but it is empty. Two weeks pass, and Burns daily promises to contact the jewels to each come to North. Finally, Miss West, advised by friends in New York, Contact Lieutenant F.L. James of the police gangster squad and make a confidential report of the holdup. James devotes weeks of his time to the case. The sheriff's office and the district attorney's investigators also work on it, but no substantial clue is discovered. Months pass. The May West jewel robbery becomes another unsolved crime. Then, James E. Davis is appointed chief of police. Shortly after taking office, he calls Detective Lieutenant Stone, Robertson, and Kynette into his office for a conference. Boys, beginning today, you three are to work out of this office as special investigators directly under my supervision. You will be relieved of all routine duties, and I want you to spend all your time on certain cases which haven't been cleared up yet. There are a bunch of robberies that have been hanging fire. For one reason or another, no arrests have been made, and no substantial clues turned up. You know the way I feel about such a state of affairs. I have yet to see the perfect crime. There is no case that can't be solved. It's up to you boys to prove that I'm right. The first case I want you to go to work on is that May West jewel robbery. Go out and get the men that did that job and bring them in here. We'll put them away for a while where they can't bother anyone. <laughs> Detective Stone and Robertson studied the investigation reports of the officers who had originally worked on the case, and then planned their criminological strategy. Well, it's clear from these reports that only two people knew Miss West was carrying that door around with her. Yeah, but remember she says here that she thinks maybe somebody started the diamonds at the first. Ah, that doesn't mean anything. The first thing the stick-up man said was hand me the poke. The only thing in the purse he wanted was the money. 
Yeah, that's right. Now, two people knew about that money. Timoney and Brennan. Yeah, and Timoney's out. He's been her manager and trusted friend for years. Right. So that leaves Brennan, who, after all, was only a casual friend. Let's work on that angle. Holmes, your deduction is astounding. Elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let's get a line on this Brennan guy. <laughs> Investigation of Brennan's acquaintances limits itself finally to Edward Friedman as the man most closely resembling the general description of height and weight given in Miss West's report. Friedman, having been booked on a previous charge, the police records include his picture and fingerprints. Stone and Robertson take Miss West the mug of Friedman for identification. Well, is this your man, Miss West? Oh, let me see Hmm, he's sort of dark and handsome, isn't he? Yeah, what about it? Is he the guy? Well, I can't tell for sure. You see, he had his hat pulled down and his coat collar pinned up. So his face is pretty well hidden. But if I could hear his voice or see his hands, why, then I'd be sure. What do you mean, see his hands? Well, he had short, pudgy hands. That was the one thing about him that impressed me. Well, we'll run this guy down and let you get a look at his hands. set out to run down Friedman, but they are blocked when they discover that he's out of town. A couple of weeks pass, and then an anonymous telephone call informs them that he's returned. For several days, they cruise the neighborhood of Sixth and Dunfield, where Friedman lived without spotting his car. Then on Thanksgiving Day, accompanied by their wives who avert suspicion, they once more visit the place. This time, they are successful in locating Friedman's coupe parked on Sixth Street. For two hours, they wait, parked nearby, and then at last a man comes out of an apartment house and approaches the car. They recognize him from the picture in the mud book as Friedman. As he gets into the coupe, Robinson walks up to the right side, and Stone poses him on the left side of the car. Open that door. What's the big idea? Where's the detective bureau? Get out. What's the wrap? We want you for the May West robbery. It's a bum beast. Come on, get out of the car. I'm coming, you big flat foot. No, no, no. You can't. Get out of there. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll go. Put the braces on, though. Okay. All right, let's go. Robertson takes treatment to the University Police Station, where they question him. You know Dave Brennan? No. We know you do. Well, so what? We want that jewelry back. Oh, that lousy jewelry. Brennan promised to return it to May West. If he had, I wouldn't be here now. What did you get for that job? All I got was a grant. It's hardly worth it, was it, Friedman? Well, I needed dough. But it was a crying shame to take that dame's rock. Well... What are you going to do about it now? I'll take my rap, and I'll take that double-crossing rap Brennan to the pen with me. Having obtained Friedman's full confession, Lieutenant Stone calls Miss West and informs her that they have a suspect in custody who has confessed. Miss West asks him to bring the man over to the apartment at once. He and Timoney greet them outside the apartment house. 
West, this is Mr. Friedman, the suspect I told you about. I remember Miss West from the night I held her up. Oh, yeah. I remember your voice now. This is the man, all right, Lieutenant. Well, what would you say, Mr. Timmy? Uh, sounds like him to me, but you have to hear his voice on the phone to be sure. Well, I guess we could arrange that, too, Mr. Timmy. Now, listen, Lieutenant. Oh, I'd like to talk to Mr. Friedman alone. Mind if we get into the car? It's kind of cool standing out here. Sure, go ahead. Thanks. Right. Well, here, pal. This up was a big idea. Listen, Miss West, I'm sorry about the whole thing. I really am. If I'd known you were so regular, I never would have agreed to do it. Well, it's all very nice to hear, but how about them diamonds of mine, huh? I don't know where they are. I got a grand for the job, and I was through. Brennan took the rock. Oh, so Brennan was in on it, eh? Sure. Oh, that's the limit. And I call that guy a friend. I guess I'm just a chump. I made Brennan promise to return the diamonds. Oh, you're good at moving mountains, too. I wanted to come and tell you about it a lot of times. If I could have gotten the jewels back for you, I would. Well, you're not a bad guy, Friedman. I don't know, but I feel kind of sorry for you. But that double-crossing Brennan, if I could get my hands on him... You and me both. out for Brennan, and he is arrested in Chicago. Friedman is indicted by the grand jury on December 4th on two counts of robbery, the May West job and a prior holdup. On January 24th, 1934, Friedman goes on trial before Judge Harry Sewell. Day after day, the courtroom is packed as May West gives her testimony. On February 2nd, the jury is given its instructions and retires. At 1 a.m. on February 3rd, the jury files back into the still crowded courtroom. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached your verdict? We have, Your Honor. Read the verdict, please. We, the members of the jury, find the defendant, Edward Friedman, guilty of charging the indictment of robbery in the second degree. Just a poor hoodlum. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. Judge Searle sentenced Friedman for from two years to life in San Quentin Penitentiary. He appealed his case, and the appellate court confirmed the judgment. Stubbornly, he carried his fight to the state Supreme Court. But that august body refused to review his case, and Friedman must serve his time. Dave Brennan, instigator of the plot, was arrested in Chicago, jumped a $10,000 bond, and traveled to Miami, Florida, where he was arrested again. Although Captain Stone traveled all the way to Miami to bring back his man, the governor of Florida ruled that as Brennan was under bond in Illinois, he would have to be extradited from that state. So the fight for extradition goes on. We, the police, have performed our duty and discharged our obligation to Miss West and to society in apprehending these criminals. But how quickly they can be locked behind prison bars is a question that can only be answered 
by those who manipulate the red tape of the law. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want further information on the May West Diamond robbery, you can get the story illustrated in the March issue of the Calling All Cars News. Just drive into any Rio Grande service station and ask for your free copy. You are under no obligation to buy anything. But if you have not yet tried Rio Grande cracked gasoline, we urge you to fill your tank and then hunt for a hill. As soon as Rio Grande cracked reaches your carburetor, you will find your car developing new energy. It will accelerate easier. You will go over hills in seconds where you formerly had to crawl in low gear. You won't have to shift gears so often in traffic. For Rio Grande cracked gasoline with tetraethyl has extra energy, extra speed, extra power, because it's refined by the distinctive cracking process that creates a livelier gasoline. To prove to you that Rio Grande cracked is a better gasoline, we refer you to cities like Oakland, Berkeley, Merced, Los Angeles, and to Maricopa County, Arizona, which have made tests and specify Rio Grande cracked gasoline exclusively for all emergency engines. Wherever it is sold, Rio Grande cracked gasoline powers more police cars, ambulances, fire engines, and other emergency equipment than any other brand.